Well, were you able to sing that song this morning as a prayer? Lord, take my life. Use it as you see fit. Marilyn, there's no better way, right, than to simply give our life to the Lord and to ask him to take it, uh, our lives, a living sacrifice, and use it however he chooses. Amen? Take your Bible this morning. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 3, but I want to ask you to uh, turn first this morning to Acts Uh, Acts chapter 6, we'll begin there in verse 1. If you want to get your place marked in 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well this morning, that'll be fine. But uh, of course, we're working our way slowly, (laughs) admittedly slowly, Brother Gary, through the book of uh, 1 Timothy, uh, Paul's first letter to young Pastor Timothy. Uh, I mentioned this morning in the 9 o'clock Sunday school hour that uh, we we took three... uh, three classes to get through the 13 books, not the 13 books, but rather the first, uh, the, the 13 verses, there we go, of, of Second John. And uh, I don't think there's a need to rush through God's word. Amen, church? Uh, don't rush through it as you're reading at home, uh, just to mark off your, your reading for the day. Take time, take time, chew on God's words, meditate on it. Uh, let the Lord speak to you. This morning we turn from the qualifications for pastors, and we've seen that, and of course we've we've talked many times about the the rationale to take all the time that we did, and uh, this morning we turn to the qualifications for deacons, and I'll I'll mention this morning again, these are literally specifically the qualifications for a man who would occupy the office of deacon in the church. Uh, and so someone will say, well, I'm never going to be a deacon, or someone will say, I'm a lady, I'm not going to be a deacon. Well, that, that's true, <laughs> but, uh, but the qualifications, as we saw with pastors, these are traits, these are Christ-like, godly traits that all of us would do well to take up and ask the Lord to give us grace to take up in our lives, and so there's great value great value in in learning these things. Now, our church presently does not have deacons, and that's something I would like to address uh, in in the near future, so I would urge you this morning to pay careful attention for various reasons, but certainly including that reason. Um, I wanted to open this morning and, and just talk for a bit about the definition of the word deacon. Uh, someone will say, oh, I, I know, Pastor, that, that underlying word, diakonos, it means servant, and, and of course it does. Did, it, did you know that? Uh, the word deacon, it literally means servant, and it's, uh, it's translated minister sometimes. It's translated a few different ways, but it literally has the idea, not as one who rules or, or who um, exercises authority, but rather one who is a servant is the literal meaning of the word. And in that general sense, we'll see in scripture, hey, everybody is called to be a deacon in that sense, to be a, a servant of God and uh, to serve the Lord as a saved, baptized church member, however we can in our church, exercising our spiritual gift, uh, however we can as a saved, baptized church member. We're all called to be deacons or servants in that sense. And Uh, Let me give you just a couple of verses that bring that out before we jump into the passage this morning. Romans 16 and verse 1, uh, Paul writes, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church. Phoebe's a woman. (laughs) She's She's not a man occupying the office of deacon, 
But she's a woman who is a woman of God, saved, baptized church member, who's called to be a servant of her Savior uh, in her church. And in that sense, uh, she, she's a, she's a, a deacon servant. Uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 3, Paul, Paul writes, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers? Ministers, the underlying word is diakonos. It's the same word that is sometimes translated uh, servant. So over and over again throughout the New Testament, where you see that word minister or, or ministers, uh, it's normally going to be that word diakonos, which is the same word that we have translated as deacon as a reference to the church office. Remember, New Testament churches have two offices, right? Two uh, biblically mandated or biblically ordained, biblically defined offices. Uh, there's, the, there's the office of pastor and there's the office of deacon, right? That, that's it, uh, pastor and, and deacon. Those are the two biblical offices. Now, I understand we have other places of service in our church, uh, and there's the doesn't mean that's wrong. We, we need people to serve in different roles and different capacities. But, but biblically, what we see in Scripture is the office of pastor, who is called to exercise authority from God, right? Uh, and then the office of deacon, who is a man who's called to a special place of service uh, in the church. And really, we'll see this morning with, with the goal, the Lord's goal, being that that would relieve the pastor from certain things, certain practical needs in the church, so that uh, he could stay relatively more focused on, on spiritual things. That's God's plan. That, that's God's design. And uh, may I say this? If it's God's plan and God's design, it's a good design. Amen? Somebody say amen. Thank you, brother. Uh, amen. So um, understand, first of all, as I've said, everybody's called to serve the Lord. If you're a saved, baptized church member, you have a, a spiritual gift and you have a place to serve uh, and a call upon your life to serve the Lord in and through your church. I'll say this morning, if you're not sure how to do that or how you can do that, come and talk to me. Let's, let's talk about that. I certainly believe it's part of the pastor's role to help plug people into places of service. Now, I understand right now with things being, uh, some of our services being constrained and different ministries being paused uh, for, for temporarily, uh, it's, it's more challenging to find kind of a formal place of service. But remember, we think about those informal places of service and, and the informal opportunities that we have every day uh, to exercise our spiritual gift. A teacher who doesn't have a class to teach formally, but, but who has the spiritual gift to teach, uh, can be looking for those teachable moments in daily conversations. And uh, boy, I believe that's just as important as the formal opportunities that we have. So that's the first sense that the word is used in scripture. The second sense, of course, is that office of deacon where God calls men to serve, uh, to serve in practical ways to help relieve the pastor. And, and that's where I have you in uh, Acts chapter 6. Are you there? Everybody there? Yes, pastor. <laughs> Well, welcome visitors again this morning. Good to see you folks. We're, we're pleased to have you with us. In Acts chapter 6, uh, this, is, this is the first place where we see deacons uh, being called. Now, I, I'm going to confess, I don't see the word being used here. Uh, and yet, this would seem to be, despite the fact we don't see the word deacon in this passage, 
I believe we do see the need and the solution and, and the result, uh, and it does seem to be pointing pretty directly to the, uh, the office of deacon here this morning. So let's see this. I want you to see here this morning um, the, the, biblical, uh, the biblical basis uh, for the office of deacon. And first see the need. Here in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, In those days, so this would be the first century, the church at Jerusalem, in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, praise God, people were being saved and being discipled and becoming disciples, there was a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Uh, so there was, there was some conflict between the Gentiles and the Jews. Uh, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So some of the widows in the church were uh, not being tended to the way uh, that would have been the case kind of back in the synagogue, and uh, there, there was some conflict, there was concern. Uh, why aren't our widows receiving kind of the practical help from the church uh, that they should? And so uh, verse 2, the 12 uh, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason, it's not really reasonable or good that we should leave the word of God and, and serve tables. Uh, their, their immediate answer is, you know, we've been called to focus on the most spiritual things. And, and don't get me wrong here or don't get the Lord wrong. It's not that pastors can't jump in and, and help practically and, uh, you know, bring you groceries or, or help with practical things. No, we, we can and we should, but but as much as can be the case, the pastor is called to stay focused on the relatively more spiritual things, praying for you and studying the word of God and preparing messages. Yep, there, there can be some of this practical stuff in the balance too. And pastors ought never to think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too good to do this or that practical thing. No, but their call is to focus relatively more exclusively on more spiritual things. And so that's their answer here. It's not reason. It's not really right or practical or the best thing that we should leave the word of God and serve tables to be distracted from our spiritual call to be uh, giving ourselves over to practical needs. And so there's a solution. So you see the need and the solution now in verse 3. Uh, they say, wherefore, or therefore, brethren, look ye, among, look ye out among you seven men of honest reports. They say, look around the congregation, look around the church, let's identify seven men who could take up this practical, uh, addressing this practical need. And the specific need in view here is, is the care of the widows. Uh, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, that's a qualification, full of the Holy Ghost, yielded to God, uh, and wisdom. They know the word of God. They've yielded to God. They feared him, and there's a, there's a wisdom. Uh, whom ye may appoint, whom we may appoint over this business, this, this practical business. Verse 4, but we uh, will give ourselves continually, we'll stay focused on uh, prayer into the ministry of the word. So again, you, you understand this. Verse five, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, the entire church assembly, who did they pick? Well, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Wouldn't it be great to have someone describe you that way? 
Amen. You know, there's a, there's a guy, there, there's, a, there's a Christian woman. Boy, she's full of faith. He's full of faith and, and full of the Holy Ghost. How do you get full of the Holy Ghost? Well, you have to be saved and you have to be yielded, right? You have to say, Lord, here I am. Take me, use me. Yielded, full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. They chose Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor, or Nicanor, uh, Timon, uh, Par- Parmenas, uh, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Verse 6, whom they set before the apostles, they brought them uh, to the apostles, and when they had prayed, uh, they laid their hands on them. And this is a tradition that we've maintained uh, in our church over, over the years. Apo- uh, not apostles, but rather deacons are called and uh, hands are laid upon them, and they enter into that ministry of serving uh, as a deacon. So you see the need that uh, necessitated the calling of men to serve in this very practical ministry of ministering, service, practical ministry. I want to stop there, though. I don't want to stop there. I want you to see the result of that in verse 7. So there was a need. Uh, the need is twofold. We have to take care of these widows. And we have to let the pastors stay focused on uh, prayer and ministering the word of God. Okay, so we've addressed both needs now. And then in verse 7, here's the result. The result that you see here in verse 7 is wonderful. And I think it's just as important as the needs that we've seen already. Maybe more important. Verse 7, the Bible says this. And, so the and connects this tightly to what we've just seen. And... The word of God, what did it do? What did it do? What does it say? The word of God, what? Increased. Uh, This picture of the word of God getting out to more people. Uh, That would be the idea here. The word of God got out to more people. There there was lots of prayer happening as uh, as the apostles continued to pray and and continued uh, to focus on preaching. Uh, God used them to get the words of God out to more people. Uh, And you know what? That has an effect. That has a result. Look at the next phrase. And the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. What does that mean? Well, I think it alludes to the fact that people were getting saved. Uh, There was lots of prayer happening, uh, and there was lots of preaching of God's word. It does not return void, and so there were people getting saved. By the way, there was lots of prayer and lots of preaching. Lots of prayer and lots of preaching. Would you pray that God would use our church to save people, to get the words of God, to get the gospel to people who, who need to be saved? May I ask you to redouble your prayer that people would come to Christ through the ministry, uh, the preaching ministry, the teaching ministry, through the members of this church. Would you, would you take that up and redouble your prayer? Uh, how many days do we have until the rapture? You're keeping track of that, right, Brother Garcia? You've got to, <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Could be in the next minute. We don't know, right? But Boy, doesn't the world look ripe for the rapture. Doesn't it look that way? Doesn't the world look ripe for the rapture? Doesn't it look ripe for the judgment of God that will be uh, poured out in, in, the, in the tribulation period, that seven-year period? Gary, I know God's going to use those judgments to bring uh, the Jews, to bring Israel, Jewish people to Christ. I understand that. But boy, doesn't the world look ripe for that, that judgment, that, that purposeful judgment of God. We need... We need to be redoubling our efforts to reach people. 
Um, but I want to remind us this morning that we must do that prayerfully. We need, we need to constantly be asking the Lord, Lord, use me. Help me to be wise in approaching people. Help me to be gentle uh, and yet an effective user of thy words to reach people with the gospel uh, of Christ. Lord, guide my steps, guide my thoughts. Give me wisdom to use your words wisely uh, to reach people and then go out and reach some people. Uh, do you think over the next year, if, we, if we'll redouble our efforts, not just to get the word out, but to pray that people will be saved? Do you think the Lord might answer that prayer, church? Do you think he might? Would you like to see him do that? I would. I would, and I, I hope you would too. The result here, the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. People were being saved and they were being discipled. They were being taught all the words of God. And as a result, they weren't just saved and immature, but they were people who were saved and growing uh, and becoming disciples, people who had knowledge of the Lord, yes, but that knowledge caused them to grow in their walk with the Lord, their yieldedness to the Lord, and they were people that went out and reached others with the gospel as well. Uh, and a great company, <laughs> the second part of verse 7 is wonderful, isn't it? Uh, and a great company of the who? Uh, the priests were obedient to the faith also. Uh, you know, there's no way to understand that except to see the, these were the priests, <laughs> the temple priests there in Jerusalem, right? They were reached. Uh, I dare say that the, the church in Jerusalem was praying specifically for them. Lord, help us to reach the, the leaders of, of Judaism. Help us to reach the temple priests. Uh, that'd be a great strategy, by the way, but, but also they, they needed to be saved too, right? Help us to reach those men with the gospel. Uh, they needed to be saved, but, but certainly the church understood that strategically, if they reached them, uh, that would certainly cause some other lost Jews to stop and think, hey, maybe we need to look into this gospel of Jesus Christ also, the doctrine of Christ uh, from this morning also. Uh, and so we see here, the, uh, the, the, those that were called to focus relatively more on prayer and preaching were able to do that because the practical, some of the practical stuff was taken off of their plate by the deacons and people were saved. <laughs> the Lord shows us here as a reject, direct result of allowing the, those that were called to be relatively more focused on spiritual things. Uh, they were able to stay focused on those things, and people were saved and discipled and became disciples, even including uh, the Jewish priests there at Jerusalem. Uh, that's an amazing thing. Wouldn't it be amazing, Gary, if the rabbi up the street here in the corner got saved? <laughs> Wouldn't that be incredible? Marilyn, you'd love to see that. Gary, I know you'd love to see that. Brother Ray Metric, you'd love to see that, right? Uh, we have some saved Jewish people, not that you're one of them, but we have a couple of saved Jewish people in our church, and what a joy that is, what a thrill that is. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see Jewish leaders in our community get saved and, and lead others to the same saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't forget, please, he's the Jewish Messiah, right? He's the Jewish Messiah, the one that is pointed to all the way through the Old Testament. So here's the need, here's the solution, and here's the result. 
we don't have deacons right now. That's, that's um, something that we would like to address. That's something that we would like to address. Now turn over, turn over if you would, back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we want to pick this up now in verse 8. These are the qualifications of a deacon. So we've seen the definition of the word, how it's used two ways in Scripture. One, in a very general sense, calling us all to be servants. Uh, secondly, as we've seen in, in Acts chapter 6, the establishment of that office uh, or the filling of that office of, of deacon uh, with qualified men and the reasons for that. We've seen the need. We've seen the definition. Let's come back now and see in, here in 1 Timothy 3, uh, beginning in verse 8, some more of the qualifications. This is a more formal list of the qualifications uh, of deacons. And uh, I dare say there's, there's men in our church who could be called upon, who God could lead to serve uh, in, this, in this capacity. We hope that's the case. Uh, gentlemen, pray. <laughs> Lord, uh, let's just take a moment and stop. Lord, help us each to uh, receive the truth of your words here. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you help us now, men especially, but ladies also, to um, receive the truth of your words here. Lord, to see that uh, those things that qualify a man to serve in this role are, are, are needful in our lives. They, these, are, these are things that should be present in our lives, whether you call us to be deacons or not. Lord, these are godly, Christ-like uh, traits or characteristics that would certainly please you, that would certainly please you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we would have a heart to um, take up these things. Lord, to put off um, any uh, sin that would prevent our lives being characterized by these things and, and to put on uh, these traits, these qualifications, these characteristics. Lord, we understand this morning the ability to do that is, is only in Christ. It is all because of Christ and the Holy Spirit who we subsequently have been indwelt by. Lord, give us grace this morning to receive these truths and to Take up each one. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you ready to jump into this part? Are you ready? All right. You have your pens and, pens and paper out? Okay. All right. I hear in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3 and verse 8 now. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy this. So Timothy is to receive this and to teach it to the, 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 the church where he is pastoring and of course, your pastor is called to take this and teach it to the church that he is pastoring. Uh, likewise, must the deacons, so we've just finished the qualifications of pastors, bishops, elders, uh, and now here at beginning in verse 8, uh, he writes, under inspiration, likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, uh, not greedy of filthy lucre. Let's stop there and just make a list. So number one, the word is grave, G-R-A-V-E, not like what we have next door here, but uh, this is uh, the idea of good character, uh, uh, honest, someone who has good character, uh, who is honest, uh, a man who re inspires respect for his conduct. Uh, this is also required of the deacon's wife. We'll see here several verses down. Uh, they are to be people who have a reputation uh, of good character. They're honest people. They're, they're not people who you would look at and say, boy, you know, I don't know. 
that person is, it, there's really some character issues and uh, there's some issues of honesty. Now, that person would not be qualified uh, to serve as a deacon. Doesn't mean they're not saved. It, it probably just means, hey, they're, they're saved, but, but they're, they're not yet mature enough in their walk with Christ uh, to be uh, one who would, who would occupy at least today uh, the office of, of deacon. By the way, are you more mature in Christ today than the day you were saved? Are you? The day that you were saved, how, how mature were you in Christ? Marilyn's going, not, not very, really, right? You, you were a baby Christian the day that you were saved, right? And uh, hopefully if you've been in church, the, the pillar and ground of truth, uh, you, you've been learning and yielding to God, and, and God has been growing you. And so you can look back and say, boy, I've grown a lot. And praise God, don't take credit for that, right? Thank the Lord for that. Uh, of course, if we read passages like this, we start to get convicted. Hey, maybe I still need to grow a little bit. That's okay. Uh, receive the conviction. Uh, confess the, the shortfalling and, and pray God's grace uh, to help us uh, come up to uh, where Scripture calls us to. Uh, the deacon's called to be grave. This is, this is a very positive requirement. It's one of the very positive requirements, uh, a man of good character. Now, the next three things, the next three qualifications that we see here uh, deal with potential sin issues that would detract from that gravity, that would harm his reputation, uh, that would cause people to see him as less of a mature man of God than one who would be called or one who would be qualified to be called into the office of, of deacon. So secondly, we see here that he's not double-tongued. Uh, he's not double-tongued. By the way, this is one of those, the underlying word is one of those hot pox words that only appears here in scripture. Um, uh, anyone here have two tongues? <laughs> Not literally two tongues, right? Not, not literally two tongues. That's, that's not what it means. It means that he's not a person who says one thing to one person uh, and something else to another person. Uh, he, he's a man who is, he's got one face. He's not two-faced. You know what that means, right? To be two-faced. You're, you're one thing to some people. You're something else to other people. You say one thing here. You say a different thing here. You act one way in church and another way out there in the world. I know that can be convicting. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to have the same consistent walk with you no matter what day it is, no matter what place we're in, no matter who we're with. That's a hard thing, isn't it, church? If we're honest, that's a hard thing, right? That's a hard thing. Lord, give us a consistent testimony. Help us to not be two-faced. Help us to not be double-tongued. Lord, help us to be consistent, to not be uh, double-tongued. There may be a variety of things that kind of are hinted at in addition to kind of the literal definition of the word here. Uh, I always think about gossip when I consider this word. He's, he's not going to be a gossiper. He'll, he'll not be a talebearer. He'll not be uh, one that speaks slanderously about church members or others uh, to people. He'll, 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 not, he'll not treat you like you're his best, you know, closest Christian friend to your face, but then talk about you uh, behind your back. By the way, I'm going to encourage you this morning. When sometimes we we, we slip into gossip, right? Uh, don't don't let don't be a receiver of gossip, please. 
Uh, if someone is slandering someone else or gossiping about another church member, say, you know what, tomorrow it'll be me who'll slip into that. But don't be a receiver of that. Be the one who lovingly and gently, lovingly and gently says, you know what, let's not gossip about that person. Uh, can you do that? Can, can, you, can you give a loving, gentle rebuke like that? Uh, and isn't that easier to receive than, hey, I can't believe you're talking about Brother Gary like that. Can you imagine anyone who talk bad about you? <laughs> I've not heard it, brother. <laughs> I've not heard it. I don't think there is. Um, you know what I mean. Uh, we, we're called... I got into a conversation online with someone yesterday. You may have seen it. <laughs> and they said they're very um, discouraged that a faith leader would ever uh, rebuke anyone for doing something that is sinful. How could you rebuke people? Well, doesn't the Bible call us to rebuke one another? Doesn't the Bible specifically call us to rebuke one another, to exhort one another, to to call sin, sin, and to encourage one another in, in righteousness, that's true. But we, for that to be easy to be entreated and for it to be effective, for it to be effective, we need to be loving and gentle. We can be, right? Because we have the Spirit of God. Hey, I don't know that we should be gossiping about the pastor. No one would do that, right? Gary, no one would do that, would they? Neither you nor... Uh, in any event, the deacon is not double-tongued. He doesn't, he doesn't have two faces. He doesn't have one way he acts in the church, another way he acts at home, another way he acts in the community, another way he acts at work. He's, he's a consistent man of God. Does he have to be perfect in this? Well, no, we're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. But he's not someone that you would point to and say, boy, I, I know this this guy is like a multiple personality Christian. It's not, he's, he's not going to have a reputation or he's not going to be known for being a man who's, who, who is this, uh, although he, he may not be perfect in this regard either. The third thing that we see here in verse 8, he's not given to much wine. Of course, this is a wine. Not given to much wine. This is a criteria that we saw with respect to the pastor. and uh, We made quite a lengthy statement about that. Uh, the pastor is not a drinker, and the deacon should not be a drinker either. Uh, we saw before Proverbs 20 and verse 1 and many other verses, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whosoever is deceived thereby is, is not wise. And, you know, there's so much we could say about that. We've covered this pretty thoroughly recently, uh, so I'm not going to take a lot of time on, on that one today. But I do want to add something that we did not consider, at least I don't recall considering it, when we looked at this qualification with respect to the pastor. Uh, you, may, you may still be one of those people who looks at the language and says, well, you know, I, I realize what the pastor teaches. He teaches that we should not drink, but, but I, I'm, I just, I'm still convinced that it's okay to drink a little. I, I would say that's unwise. You ought not to do that. But uh, please remember, please remember, uh, write down a note, please. Make this note. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. Uh, if, if, if you would argue the Bible permits believers to drink a bit, uh, we should also consider that um, biblically we are called to refrain from things that are not expedient, not useful or profitable uh, to ourselves or to one another. This is 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12 where uh, Paul tells, he teaches the Corinthian church, 
all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Paul says all things are lawful, you know, I, I have liberty, uh, but all things are not expedient. They're not good and useful and helpful. They're not, all things are not going to be uh, helpful to me and my walk with the Lord, and, and they're not going to encourage my growth, and they're not going to be helpful or encouraging to others as they walk in the Lord, and, and I endeavor to encourage their growth. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been drunk. But if you have been, you probably understand that to be drunk is to be brought under the power of alcohol. Amen? And that, that's not biblical. That, that is, that, that's no okay. It's not okay, right, Gary, according to uh, the Bible. Uh, in Ephesians 5, of course, the Lord says, Be not drunk with wine which is, which, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That verse isn't necessarily about alcohol, but it does use the example or illustration of being drunk. When you're drunk, if, and by the way, what do you have to do to get drunk? You have to drink, right? If you drink, uh, you're, you're going to be intoxicated to some degree, uh, Baptists. <laughs> uh, that verse is using the illustration of being drunk uh, to uh, make the point that we're not called to be under the influence or to yield control of ourselves to anyone or anything uh, other than the Spirit of God. Now, I understand pastors have authority, and we've talked a lot about authority that God ordains, but... Uh, we're called at the end of the day to yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, not to anything uh, untoward that would control us. And alcohol is certainly one of those things. Uh, illicit drugs, certain prescription medications, uh, same issues, same issues. Um, one who would be called to be a deacon doesn't have a problem in this area. He's, he's, he doesn't have a problem in this area. Uh, in our church, he's not going to be a drinker, period. He's not going to be a drinker. I believe that would be the, the wisest way to understand this passage. Uh, Pastor, what about someone who has a problem with alcohol? Is there a way out from that? Church, is there a way out from uh, being um, addicted to alcohol or, or drugs or medications? Is there, does, is there a way out from that? Absolutely there is. There, there's strength in Christ. There's power in Christ to find a way out of uh, any kind of addiction, whatever it is. We've mentioned this recently. I'll mention it again today, whether it's alcohol or street drugs or prescription medications or pornography or whatever it is, there is strength and power in Christ to be freed from that, to be liberated from that. You can learn uh, to find comfort in, in the Lord, in his words, uh, to, to, to put off that thing that you were finding comfort in uh, and to put on uh, comfort and, and grace uh, from the Lord and, and his words. And boy, what a, what a great, great truth. Uh, number four this morning, a deacon must not be greedy of filthy lucre. Number four, get this down, please. The deacon must not be greedy of filthy lucre. Uh, this is in verse eight. This is one of the criteria for a pastor uh, as well. He's not coveting uh, money. This is not what his life is about. Of course, we all need money. We need finances to uh, you know, cover our bills and live and eat and all that. We understand that. But uh, one who would be a pastor or a deacon 
They're not living for money. They're not living for material wealth. Uh, they're not covetous men who, who are discontented with God's provision and coveting you know, the more and the more and the more. They're, they've chosen to be content with Christ uh, and his provision. They recognize that godliness with contentment is what, church? Godliness with contentment is what? Great gain, great gain, and, and the greatest. Uh, the greatest. Number five, a deacon, uh, he must be saved and obedient to the Lord. Write that down, please. A deacon must be saved. Of course, a deacon will be a church member, so he's got to be saved, and there needs to be a degree of obedience uh, in his life as well. Uh, look, please, here in, in verse 9. In verse 9, he's holding the mystery of the faith in a what? What does it say there? A pure conscience. Uh, he's holding the mystery of the faith in a pure uh, conscience. Remember that word mystery, how it's used in Scripture, right? I guess it could be mysterious if you've not studied this. Uh, the word underlying our English word mystery, uh, it literally alludes to something that was hidden but is now revealed. Kind of like uh, the a mystery novel, right? There was some, there was some thing, uh, there was a, uh, an unknown thing in the novel, and then as the, as the story progresses, the mystery is solved at the end. So something that was hidden uh, but is now revealed, and of course it refers uh, generally to the gospel and perhaps specifically to the salvation of Gentiles. Uh, that was, that was uh, hidden from the Jews for a time, but thankfully <laughs> has been revealed uh, to us how Gentiles may be saved and uh, grafted into uh, many of the promises. Uh, Romans 16 and verse 25. Why don't you turn there real fast? Romans 16 and verse 25. Turn there, turn back real fast. Romans 16 and verse 25. Um, Paul writing to the saved, baptized church members in Rome. Romans 16, verse 25, he says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, now has been revealed, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Aren't you glad this morning that the Lord has revealed to us Gentiles through his words that the gospel of Jesus Christ is just as much for us as it is for the nation of Israel, the Jewish people? Aren't you glad, church? That was a mystery for a time. It was a thing that was unknown, but now has been revealed. It's been made, it's been made manifest. So this is a man who's holding the mystery of the faith. He's saved, I think we could say in the most general sense. Uh, he's saved, and he's holding that in a what? A pure conscience, uh, a pure conscience. He's, he's required to be one who is holding to the gospel with a pure conscience, with a pure mind that isn't given over to uh, sinful thinking. He's called to be both saved uh, and in control of his mind, his heart, uh, his behavior. Uh, we might simply say he's, he's choosing to be obedient 
uh, to his Savior. This is contrasted with one who would hold the truth in unrighteousness. That's Romans 1 and verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They have the truth, but they don't, they don't respond to it with saving faith. And they don't live according to it. Of course, Romans 1 shows the path to uh, the Lord giving one over to the homosexual lifestyle. We don't have time to go into that tonight. Uh, we did look at that recently or at least allude to that recently. The deacon is one who's saved. Uh, he's holding the mystery of the faith uh, in a pure conscience. And there's, he's not perfect. Anybody here perfect yet? Marilyn, you're doing this. No, but we're growing, right? We're yielding to the Spirit of God. And when we struggle, we say, Lord, help me yield to you. Lord, grow me. Help me to see your words and, and to receive them. And, and Lord, to see where there's a chasm between where I am and where you call me in your words. And Lord, where I'm convicted of sin, uh, you convict me and, and you give me grace to confess, to agree with you. And, and Lord, you give me grace to put off the sin and to put on obedience in its place. You always got to put on the obedience in place of the sin you put off, right? Otherwise, some other kind of disobedience creeps in. Did you get that? You put off sin, you've got to put on obedience in its place, right? Otherwise, some other kind of disobedience creeps in. Can't just leave a hole there. Got to put on obedience in its place. And this man who would be called to serve in the office of deacon is saved, and he has a heart to obey the Lord. He's a pure conscience. He's not perfect. He's not, he can't be this side of heaven. He's not perfect, but this is his heart. This is his heart. Um, let's ask ourselves, do I have that heart? Do I have a heart to not just be saved, but to be growing in obedience to the Lord? Do I have that heart? Does that, does that really matter to me? It should. It should matter. Lord, am I content to just be saved? Or do I, do I recognize and, and, and make it my desire, my heart's desire, to not just be saved, but to be growing? in yieldedness, in holiness, in obedience to your word. Uh, I urge you this morning, if, that's, if you don't have a passion to grow, just stop and pray, right? Lord, give me a passion to grow. Give me a, help me not to be content. Pastor, you've been preaching, be content. This is an exception. <laughs> help, me, help me to not be content to just be saved, but to be saved and growing, saved and yielded, saved and growing uh, in holiness, not so that I can look down on others from my holy high horse, but that my life would be ever more pleasing to my Lord and Savior, that I would be more and more available uh, to serve my Lord, that I would be available to serve if he called me as a man to be a pastor or a deacon, uh, the Lord will be able to look at my life and say, sure enough, not perfect apart from the blood of Christ, but there's a heart, there, there's a heart holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, uh, a heart that would satisfy that requirement. Number six, a deacon must be a man who's proven himself uh, to have a degree of maturity. Number six, a deacon must be a man who's proven himself to have a degree uh, of maturity. We see this in verse 10. 
The Bible says he must first be proved. Uh, he must be first, be first be proved. Gary, we wouldn't see someone saved in the church service and say, boy, you, you look nice. We'd like to have you as a deacon in our church. That would not be biblical, right? That would be leading that man down a, a, a wrong road. Uh, he must first be proved. The word has the idea of tested or examined. Ten times it's translated proved. It's translated tried. Uh, it has the uh, examined. Uh, it has the idea of someone who has, there's been a space of time since that person has been saved uh, for them to experience some trials and to demonstrate a degree, a degree uh, I dare say a growing decree, degree of maturity in their response to trials. Do you respond to trials a little bit more um, maturely today than you did when you were a baby Christian or a toddler Christian? Do, are you able to respond a, a little better? Are, are, remember how when you first got saved, you're you, you still pretty immature, and some big trial came along, you get pretty upset and very anxious and, and worried, but do you, maybe you still struggle with that a little bit today, but, but do you, are, are you learning? Can you say, you know what, I praise God, I've learned that God allows trials to grow me, and so they're not the worst thing. Uh, and I'm able, when the trial comes, to take it prayerfully to the Lord and to put it into his hands and, and to do that with gratitude and to allow the Lord to prove to me that if I'll do that, uh, there's a peace that passes understanding that keeps my heart and my mind. And are, are you experiencing that, church? Someone's going this? Some, praise God. Praise God. This deacon, this man who will be called as a deacon, he should be able to say, maybe not perfectly, church, but yep, I'm, I'm growing. I've been tested and God continues to try me and to allow those trials, I should say. Uh, and I'm learning, I've, I've learned to respond with greater maturity in the Lord uh, than before. Uh, number seven, he's, he's blameless, and this is the same word that applied to pastors. See this in the second part of verse 10. He's blameless, uh, unreprovable. He's not accused of wrongdoing. Uh, we said before the word literally means he's not arrested. Uh, he, he doesn't have to be uh, handcuffed to be prevented from continuing on in, in some horrible sin. Uh, again, he's not perfect, but he's, uh, he's a man who you, you look at and say, Maybe not perfect, but I don't see some big sin screaming forth out of his life that would prevent the Lord from using him in this place, in this role or capacity uh, today. He's not perfect, but neither is some big sin jumping out from his life uh, that would cause concern. Now, in the next couple of verses, and, and we'll look at this quickly, uh, his family, there are certain criteria for his family. Uh, his wife, uh, I wrote wives in my notes. His wife, <laughs> it's not wives, his wife and his children are addressed here. Look at verse 11. Even so must their wives uh, be grave. He doesn't have multiple wives, but multiple deacons who each have a wife. Their, their individual wives would be grave. Uh, we've talked about that. Not slanderers. Uh, sober and faithful in all things. So number eight on your list, his, he has a wife who is, who is grave. Uh, there's, a, there's a respectability in their, in their lives. 
Um, she is not a slanderer. She's not a slanderer. Have you ever looked at the underlying word here? You ever look at it? It's um, diabolos. It literally means devil. <laughs> she's not a devil uh, who is a false accuser. We know that Satan, he's a false accuser, right, Gary? That's one of his things that, that he does. Uh, he's a slanderer or a false accuser. Uh, he is the devil. She's, she's not a devil in this sense. She's not a slanderer. She does not have a heart to tear people down or to knock them down. What's implied is that she has a heart to be edifying, uh, to lift people up, to grow them to not the way the Lord can supernaturally, but to be an encourager, uh, to be an, a, an exhorter and an encourager, one who would uh, pray and, and use the word of God to gently encourage uh, people rather than tearing them down. You understand this morning that gossip and slander tears people down. Uh, it's demonic. It's devilish. Uh, it's devilish. Lord, help us, please, to refrain uh, from that. Uh, so, uh, number eight, she's grave. Number nine, she's not a slanderer. Uh, number, I feel like I'm missing something here. Well, the next one on your list, uh, she is... Uh, she must be faithful in all things. We left off sober. She's, she's sober-minded, number 10. And then 11, she's faithful uh, in all things. She's a faithful lady. Again, she's not perfect, uh, but she's faithful to her Lord, uh, to her husband, to her family, uh, to her church. She's not one who's only around some of the time. She's not one who's only serving spottily kind of here or there she's she's faithful her life is characterized by faithfulness and then verse 12 returns to the deacon himself uh, verse 12 says let the deacons be the husbands uh, of one wife so they're not divorced and remarried they're not divorced and remarried they've not violated the sanctity of the marriage covenant, they are, they are not married and divorced, they're married. Uh, neither do they have multiple wives. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, uh, ruling their children and their own houses well. So uh, number 12, they're the husbands of one wife. Number 13, they, they, they rule their children and their own house well. And that, of course, alludes back to similar criteria uh, for the pastor. Uh, so those are the criteria. That's a long list. I gave you a lot more than we normally would in one message, but uh, that's the list. See, uh, in closing here, verse 13, the reward of the deacons. So we've seen the definition uh, and the need for deacons and the effect of, of calling deacons in the Jerusalem church. Many were saved and made disciples, even some of the priests, uh, we've seen the qualifications of deacons, and now you see verse 13 here, the reward of the deacons. Someone say, Pastor, I don't know, uh, you know, if I really want to take that position up. Well, if God calls you, just yield. He'll give you the desire and the grace, the strength to serve. Uh, bearing in mind that our service has saved baptized church members, it will be rewarded in eternity. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, verse 13, for they that have used the office of a deacon... Uh, so this is the office, not just the general service that we're all called to. The office of deacon, well, purchased to themselves a good degree. They purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness 
in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Lord gives them what they need to perform this service when he calls, uh, and there's, there's a wonderful reward in that. Uh, permit me to just read through the, past, the last three verses and, and we'll close. Uh, Paul writes in verse 14, These things write I unto you, hoping to come unto thee shortly. So that's similar to what John wrote in 2 John. We saw that this morning. There was a desire to fellowship in person. Uh, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. He's writing so that Timothy would know how to conduct himself in the church, uh, how, to, how the church was to be organized, what qualified a man to serve in the, in the two offices. He's writing so that Timothy, so that, uh, Timothy uh, and the church that he's pastoring would know how to organize themselves and to conduct themselves. How thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. So there's a definition of what is a church. It's a local church. It's a reference to the house of God. And he calls it here the pillar and ground of the truth. Uh, the church is called to be the pillar and ground of, of the truth, to bear up the truth, uh, to teach the truth. The church, the local church, is the, the entity that God has ordained to be the teacher uh, of his truth, the truth of his words. Uh, no other entity has been. No, no parachurch uh, organization or ministry has been called of God into this role. This is the unique calling of local churches to be the pillar and ground of the truth, to bear up and to teach the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel and all of the Lord's words. Verse 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Lord Jesus Christ is that God, God the Son, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, the mystery revealed, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Brother Garcia, he's interceding for me right now in this moment. I'll praise him for that. Let's stop there and pray, please. Father, thank you this morning for these thy words. We've covered a lot of ground quickly. Uh, Lord, I pray we've not rushed it too much today. Lord, I, I believe we've accomplished what you would have us to accomplish today to review uh, your definition of a deacon, one who would serve in the office, the need, the necessity, your answer to that need, the expected outcome of being faithful to organize ourselves this way and the qualifications. Lord, I do pray this morning that we as a church grasp these things. Lord, I, I desire this morning to conform our, our church to this plan. And Lord, we pray this morning for the, the benefit, the outcome that you teach in Scripture. Father, I pray this morning that um, you would give us wisdom and, and guide us in our decisions regarding the calling of deacons. Lord, I pray this morning that each man would yield himself to you. 
And Lord, desire this morning to be a man who is qualified to serve in this office. Lord, if there are shortcomings, I pray this morning that we would confess them and ask for grace to grow into the qualification that you have laid out. Father, for our ladies this morning, I thank you, Lord, for ladies in our church who are real, true servants of their Savior, deacons in that respect. Lord, thank you for the great privilege we have to serve you in our church. I pray, Lord, we would count that as the greatest privilege to know you, to have access to you, Father, in prayer, to come boldly, and, Lord, to serve you with grace from you and with instruction from thy words. What a great, great privilege. Father, I pray for anyone this morning who maybe is convicted. I'm not sure that I've given myself as a living sacrifice to serve my Savior. I'm convicted that I, I need to be more yielded in that regard. Lord, I pray that one would just pray this morning, Lord, I, I confess that. I've not been yielded to serve you however you choose to use me. And so, Father, I, I do yield to you this morning. And uh, Lord, maybe someone else would say, I just, I'm struggling with that. I need the Lord's help. Lord, I pray this morning they would, they would confess the lack of yieldedness and pray for your grace, your strength to yield to you this morning. Father, maybe there's a man who's convicted about some one or more of these qualifications. Maybe they need to confess some sin and Lord, ask you for grace to put it off and to put on obedience in its place. Give you a moment to pray, however the Lord leads this morning. Father, it is a great privilege that we have to come to you in prayer. We acknowledge this morning it's a privilege that we have in Christ alone. And so, Lord, I thank you so much again this morning for my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the cross. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice that was made for me and each of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I thank you this morning for each one who's come out. Thank you very much, Father, for visitors this morning. Uh, what a joy and encouragement. I pray that you bless each one. Father, be with Zachary as he's traveling today. Keep him safe, please. Be with others who could not be here today, Lord. Have your hand upon them. Draw them close to you. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. 